Good evening, GYC. I've been looking forward to saying that and looking out on you guys. Wasn't today a crazy day? Yeah. I have a confession. Um, Earlier this morning, I was looking for every excuse not to go out this afternoon. As a matter of fact, I met a friend as we were walking towards Sabbath school, and she said, we haven't talked yet. Um, What are you doing this afternoon? I said, um... Uh, uh, I'm looking for an excuse. (laughs) And she said, okay, I'm your excuse. We'll talk this afternoon. And then as I came into the worship service and everything, everything I heard said, you need to go out there. It's going to be cold. You're going to freeze. You're from Africa. This is not made for you. (laughs) But you need to do it. And so I did. And it was such a blessing. Um, I'm just going to share a really short story just because I have the opportunity to share testimony. One of the guys came back into the, into the bus and he said, he met a gentleman who said to him, he, they were having a discussion and the gentleman said, yeah, you know, I do pray. And so he said, oh, so you pray, that means you're a Christian. And the man said, no, I pray, but I'm not a Christian. And this young man came into the van and he was, he was in the bus and he was kind of confused because he said, if you're a Christ, if you pray, how come you're not a Christian? Who are you praying to? And someone insightful in the bus noted and he said, you know what? That gentleman actually has it right because he sees a difference between doing and being. Because just because you do Christian things doesn't mean that you are a Christian. And I thought that was really powerful. So I hope that this evening we'll gain more insights into how we can be Christians and how we can be more like Jesus. Now we're going to invite Sebastian Braxton to give us our opening prayer. He's a student at Eastern Michigan University. It's your time, Sebastian. Good evening. If you can, as far as possible, kneel with me for prayer. Spirit of the living God, in the quietness of this moment, our hearts whisper to you, why have you brought us here? Jesus stood amongst a large congregation one time and he lifted up his voice and said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. And I will give him waters of life that will well up in him into a spring. Father, our souls have arrived in Minnesota thirsty. And we pray, Father, that we may have drank of that living water in which we will never thirst again. If there was a woman, as it were, of Samaria who came this weekend, we pray that she would leave with her bucket by the well. We pray, Father, if there was a man by the pool of Bethesda, he may have been able to take up his bed and walk before he leaves this place. But Spirit of God, our earnest plea is that you'll give us that sacred flame which shuns so bright in saints of old. Give us a resurgence of the Spirit of God amongst this movement and amongst our individual lives that would transcend the experience that even our early pioneers had, that the work may be finished with greater power than when it began. Touch the lips of our speaker, Touch the lips of those who will be sharing what God has been doing in their lives. And may this entire experience tonight have brought us face to face with Jesus. And we may say like Paul, Lord, what is it that thou would have me to do? And we would go forward confident, assured, and blessed, 
having known the will of God. This is our prayer, and we ask that you'll help this to be our experience. Let all of God's people say, Amen.
Thank you, Rodney. Good evening, GYC. Are your toes and fingers frozen yet? I'll tell you what, mine are. I walked, in addition to doing some outreach, I walked, got some supper at Chipotle's this evening, and just the walk from Chipotle's to the hotel about froze my blood solid. Minneapolis is cold. Really cold. Really, really, really cold. Just that little walk made my skin feel like a thousand pins and needles were stabbing into it. Wow. It was freezing. But tonight, we are hoping to get your blood pumping because we have some exciting things to share. Amen? I'd like to introduce to you tonight Pastor Alan Hush. Now, Pastor Hush is the youth director of the North England Conference. So we may talk a little funny, but that's okay, because there's some exciting things going on in that conference. Pastor Hush, tell us about what's going on. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. We've had a fantastic weekend, haven't we? I can't believe it's the last evening we have together. Um, I know there's lots of fantastic things happening around the world. We've heard about some this weekend, but there's something special happening in England. We just want to share some of the, th- some of the things that's happening in the UK, in particular in the North England Conference. I became youth director just under four years ago, and my starting philosophy when I became youth director was based upon 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let nobody despise thy youth, but be an example unto the believers in, in word, in, in purity, and in love, etc., etc. Studying, committing yourself to studying the Word of God. So our philosophy is being, um, our focus in the North England Conference has been to, to, to direct the youth to study God's Word. So the emphasis has shifted. You know, sometimes we get a bit distracted with um, some of the things in youth ministry. So we've focused on the Word of God. For the past three years. And we've seen an awakening in the North England Conference. What we're seeing right now is a generation of young people that are becoming missionary minded, totally committed to the Adventist message and the Adventist church, and spiritually connecting with Jesus. One of the initiatives has been the School of the Prophets program. We were racking our brains, that is the Youth Advisory Council and myself. Um, We have a Youth Advisory Council of about 12 to 15 young people. And that council is leading youth ministry in the conference. And they don't advise me, by the way. I advise them. Youth ministry is youth leading youth. We were rocking our brains. We were praying. We were searching for a focus in our ministry. And the Lord gave us the school of the prophets. We went to the Old Testament. We discovered what Samuel was doing to the school of the prophets. We went to patriarchs and prophets and we identified about 12 to 15 subjects that they were teaching the youth. And so we started that about two years ago and we've been looking at um, subjects such as um, sacred history, three angels and the last generation of young people. We had uh, Professor Darmstick teaching that. Then we had righteousness by faith. We've had Randy Skeet coming over to teach righteousness by faith. We've been looking at Ellen White, the prophets, and we had uh, Cindy Touche to come and um, teach us about that. And it's just growing. We've had other subjects as well, and it's growing and growing, and the youth are just awakening up at the moment. Now, Pastor Hush, I'm going to be honest. When I think of School of the Prophets, I start thinking like scratchy robes and, and locusts. But, <laughs> but I hear, Andreas, you're a student in, in the School of the Prophets. How's the locusts do? Okay, the locusts... Um wasn't really something we had at the School of the Prophets. But I'll tell you something we did have. We had fresh, pure, warm, organic, non-GM 
manner. Every single time a speaker came, we were filled. And the School of the Prophets was a blessing to me and a lot of the other young people who were also there. Now, the School of the Prophets actually came around the time when I was going into university. And I went to a secular campus. So when I was there, it was almost like being part of a salmon run. Who knows what the salmon run is? This is when the salmon have to swim upstream against the current. Now, I was swimming against two currents. First of all, I'm a Christian. So I'm swimming against the current of hedonistic lifestyle that university students have. I'm swimming against the current of the secular mindset that they have. Secondly, I'm an Adventist. So I'm swimming against the current of some of the theological errors that some of the other churches have. So I'm here having to speak to my um, peers about being an Adventist, speak to them about speak to them about some of the nuances of the Adventist message. Now, while I was at university, I was able to witness to them and the program that the NEC was able to put on helped me to be more grounded in my faith and to be unashamed of being an Adventist. Now, in Europe, we have a very intellectual mindset amongst some of the people. Some of them almost have the mindset that Karl Marx had, that religion is the opiate of the people. If you are religious, you must be an intellectual dullard. You are using religion as a crutch because you have nothing else which you can basically base your life or your faith or your purpose upon. So we've come to a, a time when we're trying to basically counteract that. So, Adam, what do you think about that idea? Do you think that in order to be a genuine Christian that there has to be this divorce between your intellect and your spirituality? Definitely not. Um, in Europe at the moment, in England as, uh, as particularly, it's a, a time of a lot of spiritual turmoil that's going on over there. A lot of things coming out in the Christian world, the non-Christian world. You may have heard of a book by Richard Dawkins, The, uh, the God Delusion, which was printed at Oxford University. And here, a seat, Oxford University was where the Reformation started and where the Wesleyan movement was born. And it was a, a great place of learning, Christian learning. And today it's a place of atheistic teaching uh, and things like that. And so there's a lot of confusion going on in, in Europe at the moment, spiritually. So what kinds of things are, are you guys planning to help counteract some well, of Well, one of the ways that we look to address uh, this challenge and this problem, you know, it's a great challenge, but with every great challenge, there's great opportunities. Amen. And we believe there's great opportunities there with, with the challenge that there is. And so we've put together a program which is called ADVANCE. What does that stand for? Is that an acronym? Yes. I'm guessing... It's an acronym for Adventist Apologetics Networking Conference on Evangelism. You see on the screen a poster. It's given the dates of the, uh, the convention which we have coming up on Easter weekend in England, Birmingham, England. So tell me a little bit more about that conference. Who, who's invited? Everyone here is invited. You're all welcome to come. Uh, the speakers that are invited, though, we have Randy Skeet, who's going to be coming. He'll be teaching, uh, taking all the morning worships. We have Stephen Moore, who's going to be coming and teaching a lot of the Adventist apologetics. Clifford Goldstein will be there. Jeffrey Rosario, Rosario will be there. Several teachers from Europe as well will be there also. So what are you planning on accomplishing with, with this conference? We want to equip and train the young people there in Europe with the right tools so they can be confident in their Christianity, confident in being a Seventh-day Adventist today in the 21st century. And that's one of the main aims because we believe a lot of the times when people are shy of witnessing, it's because we don't have a confidence in who we are, believing our, 
knowing what our identity is. And so by equipping, equipping them with the tools, teaching them, educating them, training people to go out, to meet the challenges that public university students face today in um, the, the schools that they go to in Europe, and giving them resources. We're going to have a lot of resources we're going to be able to leave with them as they go home, a syllabus that we're going to have as an educational syllabus as they come to the seminar to take home with them, to train in their local churches and the public universities that they go to. So I'm hearing a lot about classes, about school. You're trying to equip these young people with the tools that they need to repair that divorce between spirituality and the intellect. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we aim to do with the, the program that we put on offer. A very focused, specific program to address a specific problem um, and challenge that we have. Well, that's exciting. So if, if a young person here in the audience, maybe you're watching this on 3ABN, maybe you live in England, near England, maybe you're going to be in England around the time that the advanced conference is going to be held, maybe you're interested about attending. How can that young person find out more information about the conference? We have a website that they can go to, which is www.necyd.com. There you can download the registration form. The telephone number is on the screen. We for, uh, the country code is not on there, though. It's plus four four, the country code. But you can uh, go to the website, download the application form, send it in. And we do. We, after the seminar this evening, we'll have some um, application forms. We're going to have some flies if you want to meet us at the door just outside. And we do have a special discount to those of you who sign up to come during this seminar. Uh, sorry, during this uh, convention, GYC, we'll have a special discount for those that sign up and register while we're here at GYC. Amen. Well, that sounds exciting. Thank you, Adam, Andreas, and, and Pastor Hush. Thank you. In a different part of the country, two young men are focusing on a little bit different of an audience. Pastor Hush and his team are in a culture that is steeped in secular ideals, steeped in humanistic ideals, but there's another group that is being neglected by the three angels message how many of you have ever considered that the muslim world is in need of hearing the three angels messages how many of you feel confident about sharing the three angels messages with the muslim world i have two young men this evening rodney and uh... sam and they are going to be sharing with us some exciting things that they are taking part in. Tell us about what you're doing. Well, we are part of a ministry that's called Advent Interfaith Initiative. Advent Interfaith Initiative had its beginnings really before either Rodney or I were spiritually minded. Um, we had both traveled in Muslim countries and had very positive experiences, contrary to what the media might be communicating to us the sort of experiences you would have if you were to go to those countries. And when Rodney and I became spiritually inclined, we went through a RISE Institute in Michigan there. And coming out of there, we were given positions as Bible workers by the Michigan Conference. Now, for two years, we occupied those jobs. And the area which we were working in, there's a large Muslim population. And we began to get curious and inquire in church circles, what has been done? What does the church know about warning the Muslim population about the things that are about to come upon this earth? And what we learned is to a great extent, as you mentioned, Luke, that the church has put sharing the three angels' message with Islam in the too hard basket. 
And that alarmed us because it's a quarter of the world's population. Now, the Great Commission is great because it's 100%, not because it's 75. So we took it upon ourselves to be willing, be prayerful, and make some attempt to share the three angels' message with Islam. And that's how it got started, Lee. Sounds exciting. So, so tell us a little bit more. Maybe you can share some experiences that, that you've had in this work. Certainly, Luke. Uh, there are so many things we could share, uh, such as our um, theology books were requested by a major Islamic library. Um, we have presented our theology books to them. They want a, a great understanding of who the Seventh-day Adventist um, people are. And we uh, have been asked to, to teach uh, their Quranic theology students the Bible. But if I can give you um, a story, uh, one of our experiences, um, one day I was by myself and I was going to, wanted to go to the largest um, mosque in North America. And Sam and I, we both, we both pray, 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 and we pray. And um, outside this mosque, I prayed again. I went inside. The lecture was in English. The imam spoke that, that he was going to the Vatican in four days' time as a guest of the Pope. And one of my friends in the mosque, he asked me, um, wasn't it wonderful, or, or mentioned it was wonderful that the imam was going to, to meet with my spiritual leader. Well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. The Pope's not my spiritual leader. And he was stunned. And I explained our position as Seventh-day Adventists, what we believe. Within minutes, I was invited to meet with the imam and with some other men, they asked me who I was, and Sam and I have both been very transparent. We are totally transparent as to who we are. Um, God has blessed us. I mentioned to this gentleman that um, we, as, as Adventists, we don't, we don't drink alcohol, we don't eat pork, we believe in modesty for both girls and boys. Male and female relationships are reserved for marriage. Um, that we believe in a, in a judgment, the second coming of Jesus Christ. They're looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ just as much as we are, which may be a surprise to the audience. Um, tithing, charity. And then the imam asked me, he looked me in the eyes and he said, Rodney, tell me, who really is the Pope? Who really is the papacy? Well, I'm a Bible worker and I'm Seventh-day Adventist, so, <clears throat> um, so I told him. And as I was leaving, they asked me, where do you get this information from? And I mentioned the book of Daniel, which is in the Bible, and they said, well, we need to study the book of Daniel. Amen. And um, Sam and I were invited to go to a large uh, Muslim conference, 35,000, 40,000 people every year in a major North American city. And it's like our general conference every year. And we, it, just like GYC, but bigger. Booths, the same. And um, 
North America's most popular moderate scholar, found us the last evening in amongst the booths, and he, he sought us out, and we spoke for 40 minutes. And Luke, this is exciting. As he stood up as the, as the main speaker that evening, he spoke about two brothers that he had met. They were Seventh-day Adventists, and he upheld the Seventh-day Adventist church. Wow. These, Sam mentioned, the, the view that is in the media, please put that aside. These are good people. We love them. They love us. Um, and Luke, they want to be in paradise just as much as we do. Mm. And we want them to be there. So from what it sounds like you're saying, there are some fascinating commonalities between the three angels' messages, the Adventist message, and the, the Muslim world that are enabling some, some good communication there, it sounds like. Seventh-day Adventists are in a unique position amongst Christian, the Christian group at large because oftentimes Rodney and I have had a conversation with Muslims and at the end of that conversation they say, but, but you are Muslims. And we say, no, we are not Muslim, but we are following the Bible. And they're, they're amazed at that. That's, that's really exciting. So I'm going to take a guess that there's a young person in this audience that is getting kind of excited about the things that, that Rodney and Sam are sharing. Maybe there's a, a mosque in your town, and you're wondering, how can, how can I get involved? How can I get involved in sharing the three angels' messages with, with these people? Well, I want to encourage people here not to be mistaken that sharing the three angels' message, you need to learn a different language and go to a foreign country. In the, the inspired councils that our church has, a letter was written to the General Conference one time and it said it's fantastic that we're planning to send missionaries to foreign countries, but don't neglect those that have come to this nation in the providence of God to receive the three angels' message and take it back to their own people. And I've actually had a personal experience, um, was Bible working with a young lady, and we met a Muslim lady. And we shared many things with her in conversation, and she wrote us an email from um, her home country in the Middle East, and she wrote, you know, I'm doing well, thank you for wishing me that all the best for Ramadan. I'm having fantastic conversations with my father about the things that we've been talking about. Now, she saved me a lot of money in a you know, learning a language and all these things by sharing here in America where there's freedoms for them to inquire, freedoms for us to share. And she was telling her father about that. And that's the divine plan is for us here in America to, to share where there is freedoms and they take it back to their own people. And the things that have been key for Rodney and I is number one, a willingness. Number two, prayer. And number three, be proud to be a Seventh-day Adventist and be prepared to explain what that is to a Muslim. And you'll be amazed at the thrilling experience, similar and maybe even greater than what Rodney and I have had. The Lord wants to warn these people about what's going to happen in the near future, Luke. That's really exciting. Thank you so much, Sam and Rodney. That, that was really exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, we have Kyle Allen. Now, Kyle... 
you're working with maybe a little bit different group, but it's still the same idea. Young people getting excited about evangelism. Kyle, tell us about what you're getting involved in. Well, Luke, you know, there's a saying that goes, what a difference a day makes. Well, I'd like to change that tonight and say, what a difference one year makes. Last UIC in Baltimore, Maryland, a group of us from the Great Lakes region were sitting down over a breakfast table, and we were talking about the need to bring something like GYC to our region. You know, it's cool to see how the Holy Spirit works sometimes, because oftentimes He'll put a, a burden on your heart and on somebody else's heart, and you may never have even known that person, but He'll bring you together with a common purpose and a common burden, and that's exactly what happened. Um, I'm a student at Andrews University, and God had laid it on, on my heart and on several other students at Andrews to bring something like GYC to the campus of Andrews University where students would experience revival and a renewed passion for working for God. And he had laid that burden on, on others as well. My brother Sebastian here and, and, and uh, Siku, who you've, you've seen already tonight, and, and several others. And our passion, we were very different uh, in our backgrounds and where we were coming from, but we were united in a common purpose. We wanted to see God do something for the young people of the Great Lakes region. GYC is a big event. We all come from all over the country. But sometimes people don't have the resources to make it all the way to GYC. And so we wanted to bring them locally in the Great Lakes at Andrews University and in the Michigan, Illinois, uh, Wisconsin, Indiana area, something that they could go to locally uh, to connect them with this kind of experience. So that was, that's what God has done this past year, Luke. That's exciting. So I hear you had your first conference this last October. Is that correct? Actually, Luke, that's, that's not quite correct. Um, that's partially correct. Um, our first conference, although it really wasn't a, it was more like a, a weekend, was in March. Um, we brought uh, a speaker, Pastor Stephen Conway, whom you've all seen in the mornings, if you've been getting up early. Um, we brought him to Andrews University. And uh, we had about 100 people that came that weekend from Andrews and, and from different parts of Michigan. Uh, we had a young lady that came all the way from New York as well that weekend. So uh, that was our first weekend. Um, but then in October, we did have our first conference. And the, the vision was to have something kind of like uh, our, we were inspired. I was inspired a lot by what I saw happening at your alma mater, Luke, uh, Southern Adventist University, SEYC. And so we brought David Asherick as our main speaker, and that was the last weekend of October this last year. And we had uh, seminars, uh, Stephen Conway again, we had Nathan Renner, uh, some GYC regulars. We also had some, some brothers from the seminary, uh, where, where I am, and that's uh, Dr. Roy Gain and Dr. Yonker to do seminars. It was powerful, man. The, the Lord really blessed, and um, I'm just excited to see what he did. I will say this, you know, uh, in the March weekend, we had a church service in a, in a pretty big chapel uh, in Lamson Hall, which is the girls' dorm at Andrews. There was about 60 people that ended up staying for church. Now, praise the Lord. It was, it was wonderful. We had a good church service. But I remember uh, this morning, actually, when I was listening to Elder Finley, when he was talking about his sawdust series, and there was hardly any, you know, uh, he didn't have any baptisms after that, that first series and how he was discouraged. I felt a little bit discouraged after our first conference, a little bit, because we didn't have that many that, that came out. But I want to tell you and testify today that the Lord did a mighty thing, because 
the next weekend we had in October, we had 1,100 for church on mm-hmm. Sabbath. Mm-hmm. David Ashrick uh, preached powerful messages that changed lives, and uh, I'm just so grateful to see what he's done over this past year. Amen. Now, now Catherine, I understand that you have uh, a testimony to share about some exciting things that happened as a result of, of Pastor Ashrick's message. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I wasn't actually initially planning to go to GLYC that weekend until I guess it was like one week before GLYC starts that I got this random message on a beautiful thing called Facebook. I'm sure most of you guys have Facebook maybe. And so um, this, this message was from a girl named Emily. And on the message, she said that she saw my profile and then she noticed that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. So she asked questions about uh, where do I go to church in Madison and then how do I get there. So I replied her message and I told her about our church information and then I gave her the church website and stuff like that. And then she also said that she grew up in a Christian family and she wanted to know more about Adventism. So I asked her, what made you interested in Adventism in the first place? And then so she told me her, um, her stories. She has a friend. And his name is Mike. So Mike is a Seventh-day Adventist. And then one day, they have Bible studies together. But Mike didn't, didn't know how to give Bible study. So And he remembered he has this thing on his iPod, a sermon. So they listened to the sermon together. And the speaker, the speaker gave uh, his testimony about how he was a punk rocker and skateboarder. Yeah, I'm sure you guys know. <laughs> so... But she, she didn't know who he was, so she got really interested. And just looking at Mike and his family, it really made her interested in Seventh-day Adventist because uh, this family is really different from other people. Like, she went to church camp before, but she said once the camp is over, uh, people would go back to their old lifestyle, you know, go to party and do foolish things, I guess. So, yeah, that's, that's how she got really interested in Adventism. So I still wasn't thinking about GLYC until Wednesday night. I got a call from one of my friends, Jared, and he told me that he's not going to go to our Bible study on Friday because he's going to this thing, GLYC, at Andrews University. So I was thinking, like, wow, what a great chance. So I told Jared about Emily. And then, um, to be honest with you, at that night, I'm still doubting whether I'm, I'm going to go or not because I have exam on Monday morning right after GLYC. So, but I prayed to God and I said, God, if this is your will for her to go, I'm going to go with her and you're going to take care of my exam on Monday. So the next morning I sent Emily a message. Hey, my friend and I are going to this uh, youth conference at, in Michigan. So do you want to go with us? And I remember I was thinking, man, this weekend is a Halloween weekend and you know, University of Wisconsin is like number one party school in America, maybe in the world. I don't know. She probably has something else to do. So, but little did I know that God also has something to do in her life. So, um, and then a few hours later, I got her message and she was so excited about this conference. I was like shocked. So she just asked, what time are you guys planning to live on Friday? So uh, Thursday night, I called Emily and Friday morning, for the first time, I met Emily in the car. And we sat, um, we sat in the car for five hours going to Andrews University. And in the car, we talked. And 
she mentioned about the sermon that she listened to. So, um, yeah, she said that I heard a sermon from a Seventh-day Adventist preacher, and he was a former um, skateboarder, punk rocker. Do you guys know her? And me and Jared was like, is his name David Ashrick? And she was like, yeah, yeah, David, David. So, yeah, we told her that as a matter of fact, this weekend David Ashrick is going to speak at GLYC. So there she was at GLYC, and she had a really great experience. David Ashrick was there, Dr. Pippin was there, and yeah, I'm sure some of you guys met her there already. And she, she actually got a chance to uh, stand in front of um, GLYC and give her testimony, this testimony in front of um, all the people there. So, yeah, it's just amazing how God's timing is always perfect. I mean, there she was on a Sunday afternoon giving me a message on Facebook. And six days later, she stood up in front of everyone, you know, giving her uh, testimony, telling, how, telling her life about how God brought her there. So it's really amazing. That's, that's really exciting, Catherine. It's amazing to see how God links the chain together. He uses people like David Asher, he uses GYC, he uses iPods, he uses Facebook, all to link things together and bring people where they need to be. Amen? Amen. 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 Sebastian, why don't you tell us a little bit more about some of the things that GLYC is planning in the future? Well, in the future, our theme uh, for our past conference was Behold uh, in the Spirit of the Pioneers. And so this year, um, after having that blessed success that God gave us uh, there in Andrews, we said, well, we need to take this to the next level. And so in March, coming up the end of March, March 27th, I believe through the 30th, we're going to be meeting in Illinois near Geneva, Illinois, and we're going to be establishing a new conference called Just One is the theme. And we're going to be launching a pilot program where we're going to separate our region by the states. And we're going to challenge all the young people in each conference, Wisconsin conference, Illinois conference, Indiana conference, Michigan conference, to challenge all the young people connected with the Great Lakes Youth Conference to bring just one soul by the next March. And so we're launching this in the excitement of believing that each year, GOYC's membership or attendance will double because each person was bringing a soul to God. And so in March, we'll have just one, and then we'll be planning our annual conference back in Andrews again next October. So that's Amen. the plan. Sounds exciting. Pray for Facebook, right? Yes. Right. Amen. <laughs> thank well, thank you. you so much for sharing. It's exciting to see what young people are able to do through the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Three groups of young people, three separate target audiences, but God is doing amazing things. Amen? So can you. I have the privilege this evening of introducing the speaker. You've seen him for the past two nights. His name is Pastor David Shin. As you've heard, Pastor Shin was recently wedded, and it seems happily wedded. (laughs) But the last two nights have been inspiring and encouraging. But moreover, at least personally, they've been very challenging. For the past two nights, we've seen how spirituality is not just something that you do. Spirituality is life itself. Because you look at the life of Daniel, and Daniel was willing to die rather than miss his devotions. And we want to be that kind of people. Amen? And then you look at the life of David Livingstone, whom he shared yesterday. And this man was willing to go all out for God. And I believe it's akin to what we heard Israel Ramos say on the first night. 
that we need to not just be men and women who fish, but we need to be fishers. And so our Christianity is not something that is put on. It's not about do, 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 but it's about be. And that's why we're here at UIC um, this weekend and this, the past five days to study more about how we can be Christians. Um, Dave, Pastor David Shin is going to come up and speak to us, but before he does, we're going to have the men's chorale give us an item of special music. And the next voice you'll hear after them is that of Pastor Shin. I pray that your hearts would be receptive to the message that God has for you today. Let's pray together as we begin. 
Father in heaven, we thank you tonight for the privilege and opportunity we had at the General Youth Conference, this generation of Youth for Christ, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And tonight we've come to the last few messages of this blessed week, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would attend us. We ask that you would speak through me, your humble instrument. And tonight as we talk about the tipping point of revival, Lord, you promised through your servant that before you come the second time, that there will be a revival of primitive godliness that has not been seen since apostolic times. And we pray and ask and plead for that revival here tonight. Lord, we want to see you come soon. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and to our minds. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In his book, The Tipping Point, Malcolm Gladwell begins by asking a seemingly innocuous question that elicits a mind-boggling answer. And it goes something like this. If you were to take a sheet of paper, eight and a half by 11, and you fold it in half... Are you following me? And you fold it in half again, and you fold it in half again, and you would repeat this process. If it was physically possible to fold the sheet of paper in half 50 times, what would be the thickness of that sheet of paper? And when I was reading the introduction to the tipping point, I thought to myself, perhaps the thickness of a phone book, or at the most, the thickness of several encyclopedias. But did you know that if you fold a sheet of paper in half 50 times, that the thickness of that sheet of paper would be the equivalent of the distance from our earth to the sun. 93 million miles. Now, I'll be honest with you, when I was reading this, I said, what kind of genre of literature is this? I thought it must be science fiction. But it's a fact. It's a law called geometric progression. Because every time you're folding that sheet of paper in half, you're doubling the thickness of that sheet of paper. So if you're folding in half 51 times, it'll be the distance from our earth to the sun and back. Can you imagine? Now, let's wrap our minds around this. The speed of light is what, 186,000 miles per second. That's seven times around the Earth in one second. It takes approximately eight minutes to transverse a beam of light from the sun to our Earth. Now, if you could fold that sheet of paper in half 50 times in faster than eight minutes, you've just gone faster than the speed of light. Can you imagine? (laughs) Now, the problem that we have as modern empirical thinking, sophisticated minds, is that we think that causes and effects must be equally proportional. And am I right? A large effect must have an equally proportional cause and vice versa. But Malcolm Gladwell brings out this very interesting point that little things can make a big difference. Seemingly insignificant causes like folding a sheet of paper in half 50 times can yield a distance the equivalent of 93 million miles. Now you notice that our topic here tonight is entitled The Tipping Point of 
revival. And the assumption of tonight's message is essentially simple. That I believe that revivals have a cause. Amen? Revivals do not just occur in a vacuum. In other words, we do not wake up one day and say, Oh, there's a revival taking place. Revivals have a cause. Everything in life has a cause, except for God. He's the uncaused cause. And I believe tonight that revivals have a tipping point, a seemingly, notice, a seemingly insignificant cause that yields a result of exponential proportions. And I like to frame our question in this way as we go to scripture here tonight. What is the cause of revival? Don't you want to know? Why should we as Seventh-day Adventists even be concerned about revival? I want to read to you a, first sta- a few statements before we go to Scripture here tonight. Great Controversy, page 464. Before the final visitation of God's judgments upon the earth. Great Controversy. There will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic times. Do you believe that? Ellen White is looking eschatologically down through the end of time and she says right before the imminent return of Jesus Christ, there will be a revival of primitive godliness that has been unprecedented since the time of the apostles. Do you believe that? It will happen. Amen? It's going to happen. And by the grace of God, we're seeing the beginnings of that revival here tonight. Amen? I want to read to you another statement. Review and Herald, 1887, March 22. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest, and listen to this, and the most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. There must be an earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord, not because God is not willing to bestow his blessing upon us, but because we are unprepared to receive it. Ellen White says that revival should be a priority for God's people in the end of time. Amen? So number one, before the imminent return of Jesus Christ, there will be a revival of primitive godliness that has been unparalleled in scope of human history. And number two, revival should be a priority for God's people. What is the definition of revival? Revival is just two words put together. Revive. Re means you've done it once and you're going to do it again. Vive simply means to live. So you put them together. It simply means to live again spiritually. So we've just seen here tonight that revival is a priority. Revival is something that's going to happen before the imminent return of Jesus. And we should seek it with all our hearts. What is the cause of revival? I like for us to go here tonight to the greatest revival in the scope of human history. And I believe that every revival flows out of this revival. I want to read you this statement here tonight. It's from an unknown poet. It says, From all the armies that ever marched, and all the navies that ever sailed, and all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned, put together have not affected the life of man upon the earth as powerfully as that one solitary life, speaking of the life of Jesus. I want you to think about this. 33 and a half years of existence and the life of Jesus has changed the whole landscape of human history. 
No other life has impacted the human race like the life of Jesus. It is the revival. And if we're going to find the cause of revival, we've got to find it in the original. Amen? I want to read to you this other statement. It's from a well-known historian. H.G. Wells found himself devoting the most space to Jesus Christ. He wrote, An historian like myself cannot portray the progress of humanity honestly without giving Jesus of Nazareth the foremost place. This is the greatest revival in human history. Every revival flows out of this revival. And if we're going to find the cause of revival here tonight, the tipping point, that seemingly insignificant cause that yields results of exponential proportions, we must go to the original revival. And so with that backdrop, I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 and verse 34. We're going to be spending most of our time in this chapter, Mark chapter 1, let's start in verse 32 to get a little bit of a context here tonight. Mark is the shortest of all the Gospels, and if you read the book of Mark, you'll notice there's some certain words that crop up immediately when you're reading this book, immediately and straight away. Mark does not like to belabor any point or waste any word. He even skips the birth of Jesus and goes right into his earthly ministry. He presents Jesus basically as a man of action. And so here during the intertestamental period, there were virtually no miracles. Prophecy had ceased and Jesus and the John the Baptist storm on the scene and start the greatest revival in the scope of human history. And let's pick up in verse 32. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he, meaning Jesus, healed many who were sick of various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Notice that Jesus healed the body and the spirit. Amen? He did not believe in this notion of platonic dualism of the separation between the mind and the body. He was concerned about our health. Amen? And I believe in our health message. And in the midst of this revival, there is a group of people that is following Jesus being healed spiritually and being healed physically as well. John, the, John moves on, or the book of Mark moves on in verse 35. And now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Now I'd like to pause here for a moment. Even Mark, who presents Jesus as a man of action, who doesn't like to waste a word, goes through describing the greatest revival in the scope of human history, pauses for a moment, and we have verse 35. It says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out, and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. We have this window into the private life of Christ. Now, I want to be honest with you here tonight. When I read this verse, I had some problems with verse 35, because from a human standpoint, I'm not a morning person. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone can empathize with me. Don't get me wrong. I get up as early as possible in the morning, but I'm not all there. And back home in Michigan, when I have to preach for first service on occasion, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. It is a struggle 
for me to get up and preach in the morning. I'm just not a morning person. And so when I read Mark chapter 1 verse 35, I struggled and I said to myself, maybe the translators did simply not get this right, if you know what I'm talking about. And I took just enough Greek in the seminary to be dangerous. And so I went and looked at this in the Greek to see if the New King James translators had gotten this right. And guess what? It's there. And it gets even better because when it says in the morning, scholars are in general agreement that that phrase usually refers when you do a contextual study to the last watch of darkness between the hours of 3 to 6 a.m. So here you have it. In the morning, between the hours of 3 to 6 a.m. And just in case you are in ambiguity as to what time Jesus arose, he says... Another adverb in the Greek, which is accurately translated, a long while before the day. So let's put it together. In the morning, between the hours of 3 to 6 a.m., a long while before the day. So we can safely assume here this evening that Jesus arose between the hours of 3 to 4 a.m. to pray. In other words, it's the earlier half of that 3 to 6 hour segment. Are you following me? 3 to 4 a.m. to pray. Now, don't get me wrong here this evening. I'm not saying that if you don't get up between the hours of 3 to 4 a.m. to pray, you're not a Christian. I don't think that's the point of Mark at all. And this is the thesis of tonight's message, and it's essentially simple. Every revival is linked with a radical prayer life. Notice the key word, radical. Every revival, every spiritual awakening, every renaissance of spirituality, every reformation that has to do with the kingdom of God is linked with a radical prayer life. It is a non-negotiable element that is present in every revival. Whether you study the Reformation, whether you study Adventism, whether you study the First Awakening, the Second Awakening, every Reformation that has to do with the Kingdom of God is linked with a group or one single praying individual that is willing to pray the price of prayer on their knees. Every revival is linked with a radical prayer life. I don't know how many of you have ever heard the story of John Wesley or read a biography by him, phenomenal man. He asked his mother one day, Susanna Wesley, who was a spiritual giant. She raised two spiritual leaders, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, the hymn writer. John was the reformer. And he asked her one day, what is the definition of sin? Listen to this. Whatever reason, whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is a sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. What a woman. What a man. Rabbi Zacharias, describing the life of Wesley, says this. Wesley wore plain clothes. He preached 40,000 sermons in his lifetime. That's an awfully lot of sermons. He traveled 250,000 miles on horseback. He married at 48, worked with 15 different languages. At the age of 83, he was angry because his doctor wouldn't let him preach more than 14 times a week. 
at the age of 86, written in his journal are these words. Laziness is slowly creeping in. There's an increasing tendency to stay in bed after 5.30 in the morning. (laughs) What a man. John Wesley. And I read this and I said, I want to be like Wesley. And I picked up this book at the James White Library called England Before and After Wesley by Brady. It was out of print. I tried to find it. I went on Amazon.com. It was $90. You know, used. And I said, I better wait for my tax return. But I praise the Lord. I found it on James White Library. And the thesis goes like this. It shows England before Wesley and England after Wesley. England had fallen to the lowest depths in the scope of human history. In fact, Berkeley says this comment in his discourse to the magistrates and men in authority, wrote that Britain had collapsed to a degree that had never been known in any Christian country. Morals had declined. There was no more ethics in the judicial system. And the preachers were no longer preaching the word of God. And they were just paid to scratch the backs of their parishioners. And England had fallen so low. John Wesley, John Whitfield, Cambridge University students, they got on their knees. They started to pray. They prayed for England. They prayed for revival. They prayed all night. They prayed for weeks on end. And from that secret place of prayer, John Wesley stepped out by the grace of God and shook England to its very foundations. Every sector of England, you see England before Wesley, and then you see England after Wesley. The prisons were abolished, literally, almost. Slavery was abolished. The prisons were liberated. Ethics were reinstituted in society. The judicial system went to higher morals. Every aspect of English society was affected by John Wesley, one man. And it came from the secret place of prayer. Great Controversy, page 210, speaking of Luther. From the secret place of prayer came the power that shook the world. Now listen to this. Came the power that shook the world in the Great Reformation. Luther did not fail to devote three hours each day to prayer, and these were taken from that portion of day most favorable to study. Now, I want you to think about this. 1,260 years of papal dominance in this massive edifice of the Roman Catholic Church's ruling, and one obscure monk in Wittenberg gets on his knees and prays for a reformation, and the reformation begins from a place of prayer. Every revival is linked with a radical prayer life. Now, if you just like to permit me one digression here tonight. How is your prayer life here? You know, I'll be honest with you. For my personality, it's easier to study than to pray. Because prayer is almost like metaphysical. It's out in that arena that it doesn't always make sense, but it works, amen? And there's a statement by Ellen White that struck me. It's in the form of a metaphor. It says that prayer is the breath of the soul. Now you think about that. Remember metaphors and similes in high school? All right. Notice that she did not say that prayer is the food of the soul. Or prayer is the bread of the soul. She didn't say prayer is the water of the soul. She says prayer is the breath of the soul. Inasmuch as physically you starve for air, you need prayer. 
Amen? And my dad, uh, praise the Lord, he's here tonight, was a marathoner many years ago. And somehow I didn't get those jeans. I about passed out after several miles. But 26.2 miles, he ran nine. And I noticed something about my dad when he would run these epic marathons. That the more his physical exertion, his breathing changed. Amen? In other words, the faster he would run, his breathing would become deeper and more disciplined. He almost had a cadence to his breathing. Several times in and several times out. The more he wanted to run faster physically, his breathing changed. And it's the same way in the kingdom of God. The more your spiritual exertion, your breathing should go up. Amen? Not down. And it's appalling to me when individuals are in the midst of a spiritual meeting or evangelism and praying doesn't go up. You know, one of the things that is very fascinating about prayer, and Ian Bounds makes this statement, He says, the man who has done the most and best praying is the most immortal because prayers do not die. Perhaps the lips that uttered them are closed in death or the heart that has felt them may have ceased to beat, but the prayers live before God and God's heart is set on them. Prayers outlive the lives of those who uttered them, outlive the generation, outlive the age, outlive the world. God shapes the world by prayer. Prayer is God's singular condition to move ahead in his son's kingdom. Therefore, the believer who is the most highly skilled in prayer will do the most for God. Men are to pray, to pray for the advance of God's cause. And the strongest one in Christ's kingdom is he who can knock the best. And the secret of success in Christ's kingdom is the ability to pray. The tipping point of revival. The tipping point, the cause, the seemingly insignificant cause of revival is a radical prayer life. And tonight I'd like to share with you very quickly three simple corollaries as to how we can live our prayers or how we can have this prayer life for revival. Corollary number one, we must ask for it. Listen to this. It is God's part of plan to grant us in answer to the prayer of faith that which he would not bestow did we not ask. Did you know that there are certain things in God's spiritual kingdom that he will do regardless of whether you believe it or not, whether you ask for it or not, whether you even have faith for it or not? He will do these things. It's part of what theologians call the sovereign will of God. The second coming, whether you believe it, whether you have faith, it's going to happen. Amen. The same thing about other things like the millennium, heaven. They are part of God's sovereign will. But there are certain things spiritually that God will not do unless you ask for it. God will not save you. Amen. Unless you ask to be saved. God will not forgive us unless we want to be forgiven. And God will not revive us unless we want to be revived. We must ask for it. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever heard the story of Evan Roberts. He was 13 years old in Wales, and he had a burden to pray for Wales like never before. 13 years old, as a teenager. And he prayed for 
13 years asking for revival. 13 years. At the age of 26, he took a call to ministry and started preaching in an obscure church out in the middle of nowhere. 17 young people came forward in an altar call. Four months later, this is a historical documented fact. Read it in your history books. Four months later, 75,000 individuals came to the Lord and were converted. Five months later, 85,000 and Six months later, a 100,000 individuals gave their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called the Great Revival of 1904. And this was not a nominal revival. The prisons were virtually liberated. The um, bars had to close down. And the mules, which were driven by the miners, had to learn a new language because the miners stopped swearing. Evan Roberts, 13 years, prayed for revival. And Wales was shaken to its very depths. Every revival is linked with a radical prayer life, and we must ask for it. A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. So number one, we must ask for it. God will not grant us revival unless we seek this revival and pray for this revival. And number two, we must sacrifice for it. I don't know how many of you have heard the story of Henry Martin. He was a Cambridge scholar. He was a genius. Unfortunately, he had warts covering his hands and his face. His eyebrows and eyelashes were singed. He was not a welcoming-looking man. Evidently, this young lady by the name of Lydia fell in love with him because of the mind that he had and the gentleman that he was. And he was sitting in church one day, and he heard a story, a mission story, about India about the work that was there, and it resonated within his heart. And so he felt this call to go to India. So he went to Lydia and said, listen, I feel this call to go to India. Uh, Why don't we get married and go over there? And she said, there's one place in the world that I never want to go, and that's to India. She said, "Uh, you know, he said, how can you say that? She said, I don't know, but that's the way I feel. So he went off to his room in torment, virtually. Would it be Lydia? Can you imagine? Or India. (laughs) Lydia or India. And finally, he realized it wasn't between Lydia and India. It was between Lydia and God. One professor turned to him and said, listen, you have the whole world at your feet. Don't throw it away. He turned to him and said, which world are you speaking of, sir? Henry went to India and later to Persia. And listen to this. He was dragged across the desert in chains by his tormentors. And he died at the age of 31. 31. And many people would say, what a waste of a life. But you know what he left the world before he died? The translation of the New Testament in Hindustani, Arabic, and Persian. Three versions by the age of 31. And Jim Elliot says, he's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And the beginning of revival begins when we're willing to pray sacrificially. Amen? There's a statement by Ian Bounds that goes something like this. There was a time when we gave whole nights to chambering and wantonness, to dancing and the world's revelry. We did not tire then when we were chiding the sun that rose so soon and wishing the hours that would lad a while that we might delight in wilder merriment and perhaps deeper sin. Oh, why do we then weary in heavenly appointments? 
Why do we grow weary when asked to watch with our Lord? Have you ever pulled an all-nighter when you were in the world? And you remember that when the morning sun came, you couldn't believe how quickly the night had gone. And suddenly, when you become a Christian, and someone comes to you and says, why don't you pray all night for a revival, it suddenly becomes fanatical. Since when did praying to God become fanatical? Amen? We must be willing to pray sacrificially. Now, I told you last night that a number of years ago, I had the privilege of doing some evangelism in South Central L.A., and it was a phenomenal experience. We had 700 to 1,000 people coming out, 250 to 300 baptisms. And there was something special that we did every other night, and I don't recommend this on a regular basis. Remember our equation, the more your spiritual exertion, the more higher your prayer life should be. We would pray for our contacts every other night for at least five hours. Five hours. And I saw individuals go from the door, my, I was the initial contact, into the evangelistic series, into the waters of baptism in 11 weeks. It was phenomenal. And I just believe with all my heart that the more that you want God to move on this planet, the more radical your prayer life should be. Now, there's a balance to this, obviously, that we can't pray all night, every night. But when you want to see God move like never before, we should be willing to sacrifice for it as well. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman says this, Revivals are born in prayer. When Wesley prayed, England was revived. When Knox prayed, Scotland was refreshed. And when the Sunday school teachers of Tannenberg prayed, 11,000 young people were added to the church in a year. Whole nights of prayer have always been succeeded by whole days of soul winning. Number one, we must ask for it. Number two, we must sacrifice for it. And number three, we must live it. We must live it. Now, last August, at the ministerial retreat at Camp Asalvo in the Michigan Conference, we had the privilege of having a young pastor by the name of Reginald Simbana join us there. He's actually part of the Southern Indian African Division. I don't know if I got that right. That Pastor Elder Ratsara is actually president of. It's the fastest growing division in the entire world, I believe. And he came to us that night, told us his story. He was a businessman making $25,000 U.S. a month. Can you imagine? $25,000 U.S. a month. He took the call to ministry, was placed in the most difficult district in that division. 273 members. Stagnant growth for 20 plus years. 20 years. 500 kilometers across. To top it off, he has no car. He's the only pastor for that district. 273 members. And what struck me as this young man spoke, godly, he lived his prayer. He walked the talk, amen? And he had a phenomenal prayer life. He said he read the Bible so many times that he forgot how many times he read it. He prayed for revival. He lived his prayer and from 273 members, he grew that district by the grace of God from 273 in a little over four years to 24,000 members. 
24,000 from 273. He lived his prayers. And I want to tell you here tonight, it is time that we get our skeletons out of the closet. Amen? There cannot be a difference between what we do as Seventh-day Adventists on Saturday morning and what we do on Saturday night. There is no thing as a private life for the Christian Seventh-day Adventists. There cannot be a dichotomy between your public persona and what you do in private. We have to be transparent as sunlight as Christians if God is enabled to use us. Corporate revival always is preceded by personal revival. Amen? And God changes the world by first changing you and me. Number one, we must ask for it. Number two, we must sacrifice for it. And number three, we must live it. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 68. Everything that Christians should do should be as transparent as sunlight. You know, when I was going through seminary, I had this roommate uh, for part of the semester. We were there in Beechwood Apartments. And uh, his name was Israel. And Israel had this, this vision that young people could be implanted or immersed in the Word of God, networked. He had this dream about youth conferences taking place in North America. And I remember on several occasions while he was in university and I was going through the seminary there in Andrews, he would gather us together for seasons of prayer, radical prayer. Sometimes we would pray all night for extended periods of time. And I remember it was that year, it was a seminal event that GYC began. And the rest is history. 400 people in Pine Springs Ranch, 1,000 the next year in Michigan, 2,000 in Sacramento, Chattanooga, and the numbers kept swelling up. And what we're seeing here today came from a place of prayer. Israel Ramos, a college student, became the founder, one of the founders and the president of the General Youth Conference, and it started with a radical prayer life. Every revival begins with a radical prayer life. Richard Ellsworth Day says this statement, it would be of no surprise that if a study of secret causes were undertaken to find that in every golden era in human history proceeds from the devotion and righteous passion of some single individual. This does not set aside the sovereignty of God. It simply indicates the instrument through which he uniformly works. There are no bona fide mass movements. Listen to this. There are no bona fide mass movements. It only looks that way. At the center of the column, there is always one man or one woman who knows God and knows where he is going. She says, Richard Ellsworth Day is essentially saying this, that when you see these mass movements, sociological trends, reformations, revivals sweeping across our land, that there are no bona fide mass movements. At the center of the column, there is one man, one woman, who knows God and knows where he is going. And I would say tonight that it is a radical prayer life that is driving that movement. John Wesley shook England to its depths, praying individual. Richard Ellsworth Day says that virtually one individual can shake a world in a reformation just like Martin Luther did many years ago. 
And I want to make an appeal here tonight. You know, it's ironic that we're here in Minneapolis. 1888 took place many years ago, and we come full circle. I believe that we are on the cusp, the very edge of eternity. And GYC, I want to appeal to you here tonight. If you want to say in your heart of hearts, by the grace of God, revive me. Bring revival to our world. Bring revival to North America. Bring revival to my university, to my family, and let it begin with me here tonight. The condition is asking. God says, ask for it and I will grant you revival. It is the single most important thing that we must do. It's consent intervention for God to move in our lives. And if you want to say with me here tonight, Lord, grant me that revival. I want to invite you to stand with me here tonight as we say to our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of heaven and say, Lord, bring revival here tonight. With every head bowed and eyes closed, this is the last night of the GYC conference. We have a couple more meetings tomorrow. And I just want to open the doors of the church here tonight. This is not a general appeal. But if you felt the Lord speaking to your heart and you have not made a decision for baptism, you have not made that step to accept the Lord Jesus Christ in the water grave of baptism and you've heard the Lord Jesus speaking to your heart during these conferences, during these seminars, and you want to make that step here tonight, I want to invite you to slip on down the aisle, come forward. We have some ushers here that have some information a card they want to hand you. If you want to say here tonight, Lord, I want to make that step. Revive me here tonight. I want to make that step in the waters of baptism. I want to invite you to come forward and pray with me here in the front as we conclude our message here tonight. You know, this is the most important decision in your life that you'll ever make is to accept Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I want to read to you the statement from Steps to Christ. I read it last night. You cannot change your heart. You cannot give to God of its affections. But you can choose to serve Him. You can give Him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Thus your whole will and nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Your affections will be centered upon Him. Your thoughts will be in harmony with Him. And if you want to say, Lord, here tonight, I want to commit my life to you in the waters of baptism. I know these aisles are long. Just tap the person next to you. And if you're in the aisle, scoot back so the individual can make his way down to the front. I want to invite you to come down here for a special prayer here tonight. I'm not going to draw this appeal out too long. But I want to give you the opportunity to come forward. You've heard God speaking to you during this general youth conference. And you want to say, Lord... I want to make that commitment. I want to make that step in the waters of baptism. I want to invite you to come forward here tonight. You know, this is the most important decision that you'll ever make, where you're going to spend eternity. And there's a lot of decisions in life that we have to make, but this is the beginning of a beautiful relationship with God. And if you want to say, Lord Jesus, I want to commit my life to you, I want to invite you to come down. God is just asking for you to give him consent, to give him the permission 
to intervene in your life. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, the revelator says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, I will open the door and come into him. It's a promise. Amen. And Jesus is virtually saying that if you open the door, he will come in. And if you have not made a decision here tonight to join him in the waters of baptism, I want to invite you to come on down here to the front. We have some ushers that want to work with you here. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.